Bibles. We're going to teach here for a few minutes. Genesis chapter 18. If you take your Bibles, Genesis 18. Uh, I've been teaching a series on what is God like. And probably one of the most challenging series I think I've ever worked with because I'm not talking about sort of human application in life. I'm talking about who is God. And, and a years ago, my daughter Betsy, when she was about eight years old, said, Daddy, what is God like? And, and that, that question has just sort of rung in my heart for years and years. And so I've taken the opportunity to begin to put together some ideas about what is God like. We've talked about the goodness of God. God is good. And uh, God is good. You're all asleep. God is good. All the time. So we've talked about the goodness of God. We've talked about the wisdom of God. That God is bringing about the very best possible end result by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest period of time. The wisdom of God is in effect in the earth today. And we've talked about that. Last week we talked about the faithfulness of God. And God is a faithful, faithful God. He is true to His Word. He is true to His people. Today, if I could have placed a little sticker on this message, I would have put a little sort of a warning sign on this, and I would have said something like, warning, this message may be hazardous to your health, because it is one that I, I think, you know, it's, it's really one of those things where you can talk about the love of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the kindness of God. Man, all that is so wonderful and it's all so true. But when you begin to look at the justice of God, God's justice... He is a just God. That it really requires that we think a little more soberly. And I, I, don't, I don't want to take us down. I'm just saying it requires some sober thinking. That, that it requires us to think seriously. That we understand really what's at stake in life. You know, as we live life. Because God is a just God. And as we, as we sort of lay this out, I think you're going to see that we've got to admit, I think, I think probably to really enjoy the blessing of who God is in terms of His justice really requires that we can all say, you know, humanly, Father, uh, I have learned to fool myself, I have learned to fool others, I have learned to play games, I, I have learned to sort of, you know, sort of sweep away things that I know are real in my life because I've not really recognized your justice and that justice is coming. And there will be a day that we will stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account. And I, so I want to teach on that today. And I, I do it with all due respect. And I, I do it with a, even in my own heart with a broken heart knowing that I'm not perfect. But I, I believe that this message does require us to think in, in a little bit more of a sober way. So I, I just say, I've been praying, like, please, as we go through this, as we think about the justice of God, Lord, will you take away the spiritual earwax in our ears that have just caused a deafness in our ears that we can't hear you? Will you take off the blinders from our eyes and will you heal the calluses of our heart that we've just sort of gotten so numbed down to the fact that, you know, there is sin. Yeah, there's sin. We're all, we're, none of us are perfect. But that God is a God of justice. And that we've, we're going to have to all deal with that. Because that's a part of who he is. Well, there are two questions that I, I, I've been thinking about. And I know they're, they're questions that are uh, not only perplexing, I think they're troubling uh, to so many people. And that is, 
Why do, first of all, this question, and by the way, these questions are troubling not only to Christians, but to non-Christians alike. We could go down to the mall, we could go down to the, you know, down in the, you know, go anywhere, go to the church, go to the park, anywhere you want to go, and you talk to people. I believe there are two questions that are really troubling to people, and that is this. First of all, number one, why do bad things happen to good people? And that's a tough one. Why why do bad things happen to good people? Um, I, I just I just think about you know why why did you know one day this little family getting ready for work and you know the husband kisses his wife goodbye and he goes off to work and he pushes number 62 and he goes up into this building uh, to work and he's just doing his job probably a good man maybe even a, a godly man and then suddenly there's a, a rumble in the building and and uh, there are sirens that begin to go off and he looks out and he sees the billowing smoke coming out of the building that he's working in and he tries to get down to the elevator and can't get there and there's you know know hundreds of screaming people trying to get out of this building and then you know there is no more left of him there's not even remains of his body to bury in this tragic thing called 9-11 and you just go why 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 do good things i mean why do why do bad things happen to to good people i i I just i I guess i there's a sense of even outrage when i hear things like like for instance when a a a drunk hits a a person driving a car this innocent person and i don't know how many times i've watched where you know the the drunk lives and the person that was just simply innocently driving their car down the road just smack and they're gone and you just go why why I had a, a phone call from a dear friend of mine, Joe Perica, Joe and Bever, members of our church, and uh, his brother Paul, his younger brother Paul, who is 55 years old, he's my age, was waiting for a heart transplant. He had congenital heart disease. He was waiting for a heart pl- transplant. Finally, they called. They said, we've got a heart. It's coming in from Tennessee. We're going to do the transplant. Everything you've waited for now is going to happen. And he went to the hospital, and they put him out, and, and he died on the operating table. And you just go, you know, and here's a good godly man. He's got two little kids you just go why so so this this whole question of why do bad things happen to good people now why do why do good people get cancer why do why does this happen well then there's a second question why do good things and this is probably more troubling to me why do good things happen to bad people are you are you at all just a little bit outraged by that why do why do good things happen to bad people now, why is it that these, you know, these Enron executives can walk out with tens of millions of dollars in their little parachute that they've accumulated that's going to keep them running the rest of their life, and there's this little 77-year-old grandmother that's invested all of her money into this corporation, and this is her life savings, and it's all gone, and now she doesn't have a clue as to how she's going to live. But these little, you know, these little executives that walk away with a little slap on the wrist, and they have hoodwinked the entire corporation walking away with tens of millions of dollars. It's outrageous, my friends. You know? You've probably worked with people like this or gone to school with people like this that they were, they were people who they lied and they cheated and they, they were abusive and they, you know, they, they were anti-God and uh, they were just, I mean, if you looked up in the, in the dictionary, if you looked up the word jerk, their picture would be there. I mean, they were just jerks. And yet it seems like, maybe you know somebody like this or have known somebody like this, it seems like the full blessing of God is on their life. You know, they don't struggle. They're driving the big cars, owning the big houses. Everything seems to be just running just so great for them. Just life is good. 
I mean, why do good things happen to bad people? Even the prophets in the Old Testament struggle with this whole idea. In fact, let, let me read to you a couple of verses here. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. Jeremiah says this. He says to God, You are also always, he says, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. And then he says this, Yet I would speak with you about your justice. What does the way, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? How come? He's just, it's this honest question. Why do the wicked prosper? It just doesn't make sense. If you're a just God, then why do you allow wicked people to prosper? And why do you allow good people to have bad things happen to them? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 3 says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong, O Lord? And then he says, The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So there's this question, you know, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? But there is an underlying issue here. And the issue is simply this. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. And yet there is a plea in our heart, Lord, will you be just in this? But life is not fair. And so then you go, well, who created life? Well, God did. God created life. So is God fair? Is God just? Does God judge rightly? And, and how can we trust such a God if in fact He is not a just God? Well, this is a difficult thing, but here's the thing. We have at our advantage this morning in this great difficulty that Christian and non-Christian struggle with alike, we have to our advantage what I would call a biblical worldview. We have the opportunity to look at life through the Bible, what the Bible teaches and, and we have a much, uh, a firm understanding. We can have a firm understanding. We can have a firm explanation of why these things happen. Not this, some of this wacky dualism, pluralism. Well, there's this you know, good karma, bad karma. There's this, there's the yin and the yang. And there's this, there is the, the dark side of the force fighting against the, the white side of the force. And it's, it's this goofy, crazy stuff. Here is what the biblical worldview is of the justice of God. Number one, when time began, when God created the heavens and the earth, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and if you've ever read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you will realize that when God created the earth, He created it for men and women. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And it was made as an absolute perfect paradise. There was total complete justice. There was total perfection in intimacy and fellowship with God. God was fully expressing His love to people. The people were expressing their full love to God. There was generosity. There was openness. There was this great walk in fellowship. This is in chapters 1 and 2. This is the world God intended for the world to be. But then if you'll read on in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. And people fall from, from the Lord. And now something has to happen. It's judgment. And God judges sin. And so God banishes the people from paradise. He drives them out. In fact, he stations, if you'll read the story, he stations a cherubim, an angel, in front of the tree of life so that man cannot return back into paradise so that his fallen state, his dead spirit, will not live on forever. I mean, in the goodness of God, God stations an angel so that man cannot return into paradise and eat from the tree of life and then his fallen condition is everlasting and eternal. But man is driven out 
And now, in the driving out, in Genesis chapter 3, it's almost like if I could say there was like a parenthesis that was established in the Bible. At first, there is perfection, there's, there's beauty, there's this wonderful environment. Now there's a parenthesis, and now we live in what's called the fallen world. We live in a place that is fallen. And the Bible then goes on all the way through the book. Old Testament and New Testament, all the way through, showing us the way that God is dealing with people to bring them back to Himself in full reconciliation and redemption, back to the way He intended for it to be. And we don't see that fully happen until Revelation chapter 20, where another judgment takes place. That is called the Great White Throne Judgment. Anybody ever heard of that? Where all people of all of the ages everywhere will come and stand before before God and there will be a judgment and it is called the great white throne judgment and then we see in Revelation chapter 21 God after that judgment creating the new heavens and the new earth and there is again the parentheses now is closed and we enter into a life with God that is back to the way God always intended for it to be that is this perfect just you know, loving, generous, all the tears are wiped away. There's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more injustice in the world. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, here's the thing that I just have to have you see, and that's this. That we are living inside the parentheses. We are living in a fallen world. Therefore, in this fallen world, there is injustice. Because God's justice has not come fully again into the earth. This, are are you all tracking with me at this point? We, are, we live in a fallen world. And yet in our hearts there is this cry. Lord, bring your justice. There are things that aren't fair. There are things that just aren't right. And yet we live within the parentheses. Life is not fair. We live in a fallen world where justice is not meted out with equity, is it? Justice isn't, isn't given. Am I giving out of my battery here, Dale? Is it this? Time out. This is totally unjust, but let me try this. That maybe didn't fix it. We'll try. We'll see. Justice isn't meted out the way we want it. You know, I, I remember, I just, just not long ago, I... I read an article about um, two men who uh, both of them weighed over 250 pounds and they kidnapped a little boy, eight-year-old boy. And they killed this little boy. And then they raped the corpse. And there's something... uh, There was... was (laughs) Still is an outrage that rises up in my heart. And I just go, that is not right. And, and even though we are being numbed down by all the violence on TV and the movies, we are being so numbed to the injustice of the world, I, I just really believe that God wants us to come to a point of really crying out again for justice. And, and in just a moment, I want to show you that there's this great blessing that we have as God's people. We have an ability to approach the throne of grace and to cry out for justice. Let, let me give you a story because this talks about the justice of God being meted out in a fallen world. Remember, remember the guy by the name of Abraham? Remember that guy? 
And uh, Abraham wasn't a perfect man, but God comes and he establishes a covenant, a friendship with Abraham, and they become friends. And uh, uh, Lot is a nephew of Abraham's, and Lot and Abraham part company at one point, and Lot goes to a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is an evil, a wicked place. But this is where this family moves to, is into this city. Abraham stays on the plains and he, he just continues to grow in his prosperity. God is blessing his life. God is pouring out his goodness upon him. And so Lot and his family are living now in Sodom and Gomorrah. God suddenly, I mean not suddenly, over time there is this sort of, the, the wickedness begins to ascend into heaven and God gets wind of how wicked this city really is. And he comes and he goes, we are going to destroy this city, but I can't do that unless I talk to my friend and Abraham first. And so there is this beautiful meeting between God, the triune God and Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to destroy. I I cannot bear the evil of that city anymore. And do you remember the story about how Abraham goes now into negotiation with God? And he says, Lord, you know what? What if... I mean, what if, now he's, he's thinking, he's doing the math in his head. He knows that there's a little pocket of people living in Sodom and Gomorrah that he loves. And they actually are godly people. And so he goes, well, what if, Lord, there were 50 righteous people in that city, would you spare it then? And God said, you know what, for 50, I would spare those cities. And then he goes, how about 45? And God says, yep, for 45. How about 40? And he begins to negotiate. See, Abraham was the first Jew. I mean, he was. He's the first Jewish guy in the Bible. So he knows how to negotiate. So he begins to negotiate. But it's all based upon his friendship with God, his understanding of who God is. And notice, this is really the, 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 uh, uh, the basis of negotiation as far as Abraham's conter- concerned. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. This is what he says. Far be it from you, O Lord, to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? And he begins to talk to God about the fact that, God, I don't have any written revelation of who you are. I don't have an Old Testament. I don't have a New Testament that I can read. But I've had an experience with you. And everything I've experienced tells me you are fair and you are just and you are pure and you are holy. Therefore, based upon the fact that I know that you are a just God, I am coming and saying, Lord, it's not right. And here's what I want to just encourage you today. As children of the living God, we have the ability to to ask God our Father in prayer that justice might come and penetrate this fallen world. And yet at times I find myself prayerless. I I go, "Why, why don't I pray? And I think it's because I don't understand the negotiating power I have as a child of the living God bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so we tend to want to slug it out in the legal system and slug it out in the financial system and work and try to toil instead of coming to God and saying, God, this is injustice. And I am appealing to the justice of your heart that justice would come. Remember when uh, Jesus... Uh, had been praying and his disciples come to him. The only thing they ever asked Jesus, teach us to do this. They said, Lord, teach us to what? To pray. Teach us to pray. 
And Jesus said, here is then the way that you should pray. When you pray, say, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says this, thy kingdom come. What this is saying is let your kingdom, your lordship, your rule and your reign penetrate this fallen, unjust world and let your reign and your rule, let your rightness be established into this situation. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And I believe, my dear friends, that we have this great opportunity, though oftentimes we don't take advantage of it, to cry out into the heart of God, Lord, you are a just God. Bring your justice to the earth. Let your justice penetrate the injustice of this fallen world. Can anybody say amen this morning? My friends, (laughs) this is why God has given us this great thing of prayer. And yet we just, you know, "Ah, rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. Oh. Oh my gosh, there we have such great negotiating power. So, I want to just encourage you. Think about that. Just think about that. And when you see injustice, you know, pray. Talk to God the Father, who is, by the way, absolutely, perfectly just and fair. In fact, if there were anything that God would like uh, us to understand, and that is, first of all, and, and you can sort of fill in your blanks here, God is fair. God is just. God is equitable. God will never give anybody a raw deal. Never. See, justice isn't some external code of standard that God uses to make decisions. God is just. It is who He is. He is justice. And therefore, God is fair. God is just. And what God wants us to do is to trust Him in this fallen world. That there will be a time where the scales will be balanced and God will bring a perfect righteous judgment into the earth and God will judge rightly with all justice and righteousness. I mean, when you see Jesus coming into the earth and He's making the things that are wrong right, He is healing the sick. He is casting out demons. He is asking that little man with a shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. Let it, let it be whole. That little leper that comes to him and says, Lord, if you're willing, you could heal me. Jesus said, I am willing, be healed. And then Jesus would say, you know what? The kingdom of God is near you. There is the kingdom. There, there is the justice of God that has penetrated the injustice of this world. And so what we see here, my friends, is the fact that God is just and He is fair and He is equitable. And no one, even though in this fallen world oftentimes justice is not meted out at the time that we want to see it happen, God will make a righteous judgment in all things. Second thing is everyone will get what they really deserve. Now that's the heart of justice. Everybody getting what they really deserve. And this is true of God. There is a time coming. In fact, some of the injustice will be dealt with at the end of when, when, when time rolls into Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Where a new heaven, new earth will be established. Where the great white throne judgment takes place. In fact, there's an, another judgment that will take place and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema seat. Where we will, as God's children, stand before the Lord Jesus and we will receive reward for the things that we have done, for the stewardship we've made in this life. See, folks, this is opportunity for us to just simply steward life and to live by the Word of God, to live by the Bible, to love God, to trust God in a fallen world. 
And as we steward our life well, as we, as we give, as we give our life, as we walk with the Lord, as we love people, as we refuse to take revenge, as we love even our enemies, as we do what Jesus has asked us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, my friends, there will be a meeting out of reward for us and it will be a wonderful, wonderful experience that's yet to come. And so everyone will get what they deserve. But then here is the third thing that you have to understand is that inside these parentheses, in this fallen world, retribution, retribution may not happen immediately. That is, you know, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. That may not happen that day or that week or that month. It may happen, you know, eons from now, but it will happen. And so retribution uh, will take place. So, and by the way, can I tell you, I'm not going to get all the way through this outline. So if anybody's nervous, it's okay. Uh, I, I realized, I put, there is so much on the justice of God. I, just, I couldn't get it. So we're, we're going to talk next week about a couple of points in here. But I want to cover the first two points. How does God reveal His justice? How, how, is the, how do we see the justice of God, even though we live in this fallen world, within the parentheses of this fallen world? How has God revealed His justice? Number one, by the natural order, by nature, by creation. God reveals justice through natural order. Let me read a verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. In other words, the justice of God can actually be seen by all people. Nobody is without excuse. Nobody can say, I just didn't know that. So I, I, just, I did not know that it was wrong uh, to, to steal. I just did not know. I, I didn't know it was wrong to steal another man's wife. Didn't know that. God says, look, you just open your eyes and look at creation because in all of creation, there is established in creation cause and effect. When this happens, then this happens. And, and it, when the rain comes, the plants grow. When there's drought, the plants wither up. There's always cause and effect. When the snow falls, everything gets frozen. Everything goes into dormancy. My creation is declaring that there is a cause and effect. There is justice. Things work, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And he's saying, justice is being declared by all creation. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So what he's saying is, I don't care what culture you come from. I don't care what part of the world you come from. It doesn't matter where you are socioeconomically. Everybody has a deep sense of justice by simply watching the cause and effect that's going on in the earth today. The whole law of of reciprocity. The law of reciprocity is we learn that from agriculture. My dad was a farmer. He'd put seed in the ground. He'd get seed back. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. You stick corn seed in the ground, you're going to get corn seed coming back, only in more bounty, in more abundance. Whatever you stick into life, that's what you're going to get back. So nature says, there's justice. (laughs) There is justice. And you just can't get around it. So he says, 
No people can get around it. I mean, every, you've heard this phrase, everything that comes around goes around. That's just simply the secular world saying, there's justice. Even, even this goofy idea of karma. You know, karma. Uh, ka- karma, kar- karma says, look, if you jack around with people and you mess around with them and you're cruel and you're a taker, you're going to come back as a cockroach. But if you're good to people and you're kind to people, you'll come back as a cow. Now, I'm not sure if that's all that great of a deal. I don't, I don't know. But, but even this goofy, foolish idea of karma is, is simply this Eastern concept trying to say, there is justice in the world. All cultures understand justice. So, by natural order, God demonstrates His justice. Here's the second thing. It's the last thing I'm going to talk about today, and then we're going to finish up next week. God places a sense of justice on the human heart. Every human being, apart from Scripture, Christian or non-Christian, there is a deep sense of right and wrong. There, there just is. Because God has put it on our hearts. Uh, let, let me read a verse. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It says, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Here's what he's saying. God has placed in our, all of our lives, every person, Christian, non-Christian, like a conscience. The conscience is really the connection between the sense of right and wrong that's in our heart with our mind. And, and there is, so there's this thing that communicates to us, this is wrong. I mean, before I became a, I became a Christian on April the 10th, 19, uh, 1972. But before that, well, long before that, there were times where I would do something and I, it would, in my conscience I would go, that's wrong. And my conscience would condemn me. And I said, Dan, you're wrong, man. What did you do that for? Why did you say that? This is wrong. And so God is demonstrating the fact there is justice in the world because in all people there is a sense of ought and should, a sense of right and wrong. There is a conscience in everyone that will either condemn us or defend us. And so God has placed this in the human heart so that people are without excuse. There is that sense of right and wrong. And people without Jesus know this internally through what is called justice. Now, folks, the difference between us and them, we have conscience. We, however, have the power by the Holy Spirit. We have power to live out the Word of God. And to say, I just can't help it. As a believer, that's a contradiction. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do this. This is the great difference between Christian and non-Christian. We all have a conscience, but we have the power to do it right. And so, God has placed in the human heart a sense of right and wrong. Let me do just a little, this is goofy, but let me do a demonstration, okay? Would that be okay? Let me just demonstrate the fact that we all have a sense of right and wrong, a sense of ought and should. I, I just need, real quick, a couple of volunteers here. Corey, could you come up? John, could you come up? Come on up here. Oh, there's two Corys. Both of you come. Both of you come. This, this is kind of like, um, come on up here, guys. This is kind of like uh, Bible Jeopardy. Hello, I'm Alex Trebek, and uh, we're going to play Bible Jeopardy here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give our 
our uh, contestants a hand here. All right. And Corey's going, I, I don't speak Japanese. No, that's a, that's a Chris Farley thing. Anyway, okay. I, we have had a panel of judges and we have come up with a list of questions that ha- are the same in terms of, of difficulty. And if they get this question, these questions correct, they will be rewarded. Okay, there will be reward. Uh, and so here's the question. Corey, here's your, here's your question. Name the first book of the Bible. Now just da, 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 da. Okay, what is the first book in the Bible is? Genesis. Genesis. Let's go, give him a hand. Very good. Here's your reward. Now, this is not this is an illustration, but this is real. Do not give this back to me. Alright, this is yours. Ten dollars. Let's give Corey a hand. He very good. Alright. Corey, here's your question. What is the last book in the Bible? Okay, what is the last book of the Bible? Revelation Revelation is correct. And Corey, your reward. Here's a mint. Very good. Very good. Thank you. John, here's your question. John, what is the first book of the New Testament? What is the first book of the New Testament? The first book of the New Testament. John is choking. Matthew is correct. And John gets a two-week-old Chicago Bear cookie. All right? Let's hear it for John. Come on, baby. Out of bed. Good job. Good job. All right, guys. You're done. See ya. Thanks. All right. Now, I don't know if there's anything in you that goes, that stinks. There's something wrong with that. Why in the world did Corey, that Corey, get 10 bucks? I mean, the questions are about the same difficulty. That guy gets 10 bucks. That guy gets a mint. That guy gets a cookie that you do not want to eat, John. Do not. Absolutely do not want to eat. Why in the world? There, what is the deal there? I mean, there is absolutely not... That, that stinks. The fact that you would say that stinks says God has placed justice in your heart. In order for there to be justice, there must be a judge who enforces the standard of justice. Therefore, God is saying, we all get it. We all understand there is justice in this life. And so... What we're going to do this morning, we're going to fill out the rest of these blanks and I'm going to come back and teach because I just don't have time to teach this really important part because the, the third way that God demonstrates His justice is His role as judge. God has a role as judge. And I'm going to be giving you verses about that. God is the judge. He is the judge of all mankind. God will judge in two places in judgment at the end of the earth. At the great white throne judgment. I want to teach on the great white throne judgment. What is that? What's it going to look like to us? How are we going to be affected? And then Jesus Christ himself as God the Son will judge at the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to teach you on that. Because my friends, we have got to understand that the justice of God applies to our life. God does not wink at sin. God does not, you know, ah, whatever. You just do whatever you want to. Heck, I grade on the curve anyway, so what difference does it make? No, this is not God. 
I mean, God says, you know what? Uh, you know, even though your teacher in high school might have gone, well, you know what? The highest grade in this class was an 88, so you get the A. God says, if you get 100, you get the A, you pass. If you have 99.9999, you fail. Because I'm a God of justice. That's who I am. I, I am just. And so we'll talk about his role as judge. And then the, the premier demonstration of the justice of God is at the cross. And I want to talk about that. Because it was the place that God poured out his full wrath against sin because he was a God of justice. And he was determined to punish, he had to punish the sins of all mankind. And it happened as he poured out his wrath upon his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if there's anything that I want to leave you with, it's this. How do we live in light of God's justice? Fill these blanks out and then I'm going to teach more next week. Choose to embrace Jesus today as your Savior instead of meeting your judge later. You do not want to meet Jesus Christ as judge. You want to meet Him now as Savior. And I'll talk more about that next week. And then number two, and here's such an important thing that we understand, and Jesus will teach us this next week. Refuse to take revenge. Refuse to take revenge when treated unjustly, knowing that God alone is the judge, and He will judge properly and correctly in due time. And then number three, take comfort. Take comfort when you encounter injustice, knowing that God will balance the scales in the end. He will, because who He is is justice. And then finally, and I would give you a little assignment here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, meditate on the reality of the judgment seat of Christ. Meditate on the reality of the judgment seat of Christ. You know, people live for a lot of different reasons. I can tell you, my friends, I'm living, honestly, for the day that I hear Jesus say to me, and I hope he says this, you did good, done good, good job. You stewarded your life the way I ask you to steward your life. So we'll cover this next week. It's just powerful, powerful stuff. But there is something right now, in fact, as God's... Could we stand together? Let's all stand together. We'll have our worship team come. There is a, a ministry that has been going on in the prisons around the country called Interchange Freedom Initiative, IFI. It is, I I believe, and if you've never gone to Newton on a mission trip to the Newton prison, and you've seen IFI in action, you will see one of the most fabulous ministries taking place to recover the brokenness and the lostness of people who are incarcerated in prison. It is a powerful, powerful ministry of discipleship. But of course... The ACLU ACLU has to rise up and say, hey, there is a separation of church and state and it ain't right to tell these broken people about the goodness of Jesus Christ and the power of Him to restore. Therefore, we're going to obliterate IFI. That is injustice. (laughs) That ain't right. And so... What I'd like you to do, would you take someone by the hand if you feel comfortable and together, the Bible says if we agree as touching any one thing, it shall be done. I believe the heart of God is to make sure that this great ministry is in place. And so we're going to appeal to the just heart of God in this. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we want to remind you that you said if we ask anything in Jesus' name, it would be done. And so, Lord, we ask today, Father, that in this 
unjust world that we live in, in this fallen world, in this world that says we've got to separate you from all of life and we've got to secularize even a nation that was established on God Almighty. Lord, today we pray that the appeal being made by IFI will be upheld and that, Lord, this wonderful, powerful ministry there in that prison will continue on and bless the hearts and the lives of men and women who desperately need your life and your love and your kindness and your forgiveness. We thank you, O God. And Lord, even today, for those that are suffering injustice right now, I bless them, Father. And I pray that as we begin to worship you, O Lord, your peace would begin to fall upon them. We love you. We bless you today. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Let's worship. And it was a dream of justice. I mean, it was just a beautiful dream that he had. I just, uh, I embraced that dream with him. But... He wasn't the only one that had a dream. John the Revelator had a dream, had a vision of the day that God would come and he would make all things right. And he would judge the bad things that have happened to good people and even the good things that have happened to bad people. And he would make things right. But until that time, as we live in this time of a fallen world, we have great privilege to pray about this injustice and then trust in God that he will penetrate at his choosing the time that he makes things right. And so, this morning before we leave, I wonder, is there anyone here that could say this morning, you know what, Dan, I am right now, just, I have a sense, I, there is injustice right now that I'm suffering from right now. Is there anybody here, just feel like there's just injustice going on in your life? It may be a physical issue, it may be a relational issue, uh, it, may be, it may be physical, financial. Anybody here? Injustice. Would you come down? Could we just pray for you? And could I ask those of you that pray, just come on down here. Let, let us pray for you. I mean, this is our opportunity to come before the throne of grace and say, Lord Jesus, would you make this right? And if in your choosing you allow this to go on, would you at least give strength that we can walk through this thing? So just come on down. And I, I'd like to invite my friends now. Come on down. Would you, would you come and pray? Uh, those of you that pray, our staff and our leaders, just come on down. Let's, let's lay hands on these folks and bless them and pray for them. Okay. Yep, come on down. Just feel welcome. Well, I just want to say, Father, today in Jesus' name, we look to you. You are good. You are wise. You are faithful. And Lord, today we say you are just. You are fair. You are equitable. And so we appeal to that today, Lord, as we pray for our friends. We bless you, Lord Jesus. And I pray even today that as we leave this place and we are faced with injustice in this fallen world, that we would be quick to simply come to you and pray and seek your face. So bless, Lord, your people. Thank you, Father, for this day. We love you and we bless you together. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen, amen. God bless you. I'll see you next week. We'll finish up next week. The Lord bless you.